Father, I was chatting with Lindbergh, 91 years old, who mentions that he is alive today by the grace of God. What a beautiful testimony to each and every one of us. Every day we live by your grace. And you wouldn't have it any other way. So thank you. Lord, we're giving you something back today from our means, from the way that you've blessed us. Thank you for providing for the needs of of our church and for helping us, Lord, to do good things with the gifts that we're able to give. Would you cause us to be even more generous as your people? Would you move us to want to be able to do even more because we know there is so much more to do? Would you bless these offerings, Lord? Would you bless our faithful giving and would you cause it to prosper for your kingdom's sake? For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Sorry, I started to preach there. <clears throat> I do that sometimes. I'm sitting this morning when I, before I came, I was in my, in my chair and I was praying and I was trying to pray and talk to God and I started going into the sermon and I stopped and I said, Lord, you already know what I'm going to say, so... I don't need to preach to you. Um, but, it, but that prayer is on my heart, partly because that is what we're going to be talking about uh, today. So we're jumping back into our, our annual theme of what's in a name. Looking at the, uh, at the book of Ephesians, which is really a blueprint for the church and what it is to be the people of God. And I'll just catch us up briefly um, to let, let you know where we have been. We've, start, you know, we've done chapters 1 and 2 in the fall. Uh, then we had our Advent season, a wonderful Christmas season, and today we're jumping back in to chapter 3, and we're going to be having an extended period of time in chapter 4 after this. So Brian Carney and I are doing chapter 3 today and next week, and then we're going to spend six weeks on chapter 4, because there's just such a lot of significance there. But really, in many ways, what Brian and I are going to be doing today is kind of setting us up for that extended season in chapter 4 of Ephesians. And so I hope you'll really listen to what both Brian and I have to say today because I think it will help pave the way for that. But just to recap chapters 1 and 2, remember that Paul has said to the Ephesians, to the church in Ephesus, he said, you're called, you're chosen, and you're adopted. That identity, know who you are, remember who you are. You're called, you're chosen, and you're adopted. You belong, you're part of the people of God, you're part of the household of God. And in chapter 2, he went further and he said, already, even now, you have been made alive with Christ. You have been raised with Christ and you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And he talks about this incredible identity that we have as the people of God. And we wanted to, to sink into that and really capture that because it's who we are today. As we go out those doors and go back to our homes and our families and our workplaces, this is who we are. We're, we're still God's people. We're, we're a people who are called, chosen, and adopted. A people who are, are alive with Christ, raised with Christ, and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And then he'll go on in chapters 4, 5, and 6 to tell us what we're supposed to do with that as the people of God. But chapter 3, he has a bit of a a hinge here because he starts chapter 3 by saying, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of the Gentiles, and then he breaks and he goes off onto this digression. I'm going to be talking about the digression and dealing with that. Brian's going to come back and talk next week about what it was that Paul 
intended to do? Why was he kneeling? What was the reason that Paul was going to kneel? Because you pick it up in verse 14 where he says, you know, for this reason I kneel and I pray. And he prays one of this most one of the most wonderful and amazing, all-encompassing prayers in all of Scripture for the people of God. And Brian will unpack all of that next week for us. But something clicks in Paul's mind as he, as he thinks about, and he, he's writing that he is a prisoner of Christ for the sake of the Gentiles, and he begins this, this digression. And that's what we want to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, you're open to Ephesians chapter 3. Otherwise, it's on the screen behind us. Let's roll through this. Here's the digression. He says, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly. In reading this, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. So he has this digression where he, he thinks about his commission as being the, the apostle to the Gentiles. But I want us to think about that for just a second because what you need to understand is this blew, this blew Paul's mind. Absolutely exploded his world. Remember that Paul, he says in another place, that he was a Pharisee's Pharisee. He was a Jew's Jew. He was zealous for the Jewish people and zealous for the God of the Jewish people. So much so that when this new sect came up in Christianity or called Christianity, he set his heart to persecute and destroy it and to, and, to, and to snuff it out to the point where he was actually consenting to the execution of Christians. So Paul was a zealous man for all things Judaism. And one of the things that the Jews believed was that they were God's chosen people. They believed that they were a light to the world and they believed that, that they were God's chosen and all the nations were to look at them and see how wonderful they were and then want to be like them so that they could know this God as well. And what that meant was that anybody, no matter who you were, no matter what nation you were from, you could come to the God of, of the Jews, but you had to become a Jew to do it. You had to convert. You had to become a God-fearer, they were called. And these are people who were not natural Jews who had become converted to Judaism in order for them to be able to, want to worship the God, Yahweh, and be counted among his people. But the thing that God showed Paul was that none of that was necessary. Now think of it. You're a Jew's Jew a persecutor of those who don't align with what you think is the purity of the gospel. 
and God comes along and turns your world upside down and says, no, you don't need any of that. All you need is Jesus. In Jesus, I've done it all. And in Jesus, no matter who you are or where you come from, you can come and you can belong. Now we know from our New Testament that this was a challenge for the early church. They struggled with that because they, they were having a hard time understanding what that all meant. But Paul got it. By God's grace, by God's gift, Paul got it, which is one of the reasons why he's written so much of our New Testament. Because it, it fell on him to explain to the non-Jewish world what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And I don't think there's many of us here who come from the Jewish tradition. So he's writing to us and talking to us, people like you and like me. And every once in a while, Paul just gets overwhelmed by the scope of this. He says, you know, he said this was God's plan all along, but it was hidden. It was a mystery. We didn't understand it, but now he's revealed it. And now he's commissioned me to go and tell not just the Gentiles, but everybody about it. This gospel, he calls it, this good news that you don't have to jump through hoops. You just have to come to the one that God has given for you. And that was blowing Paul's mind. But here's the thing that I want us to think about today. Um, I think most of us kind of get that and, and, and that, but here's... Paul was greatly, greatly impacted by this truth, by this gospel. And he says, for this gospel, I became a servant. I became a servant. And I want us to dwell on that for a couple of minutes. The impact of this unimaginable good news on Paul was dramatic. It changed his life. It changed the course of his life. It changed everything about his life. And he became a servant of that gospel. And the word for servant in the Greek is the word diakonos. We would recognize it as our word deacon. But it actually means literally one who executes the commands of another. It's the same word that's used for the servant of a king, for a servant in a church, for a, a, a one who waits on tables you know, in, a, in the hospitality industry. But the idea is that it's one who's doing the bidding of another. And that relationship between the gospel and Paul's, and, what, and Paul's life afterward, that's the thing I want us to think about for just a second. That that good news was so impactful upon him that he became its servant. He took the burden of sharing that and, carry, and carrying that good news to others and made it his life's commissioning. He became a servant of the gospel. And what it shows us is that the gospel compels a response. It compels a response from us, or it should. If we truly understand it in its depth and we really, we really get what God has done for us in Jesus and what he is not asking of us as opposed to what we think he's asking of us, it compels a response. And you know, he's going to go on in Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6 and talk about that response. 
And we'll talk about that more in the weeks ahead. As we've been going through this and preparing for this, I got out Os Guinness's book, The Call, written uh, some 20 years ago. Great book, classic book. If you haven't read it or if you haven't read it again for a while, I would encourage you to get it and, and read it again. It's a great book about what it is to be called by God to be his person in the world today. Here's one of the things that Oskin says in that book, The Call. He says, The response of the disciple is an act of obedience, not a confession of faith in Jesus. The call is all. Jesus is the reason. The only way to leave everything, the only way is to leave everything and follow him. There is a call that this is a call that makes short work of all of our questions, objections, and evasions. Disciples are not so much those who follow as those who must follow. And one of the things that we've been wrestling with in Western Christianity, especially, is this idea that we have gospel light that we have believer light, that we have Christianity light, and to think that our, our faith is, a, it, we, we make a profession of faith, we make an intellectual confession, we accept that Jesus died for our sins, and then we go on and live our lives as normally as we ever would, and it makes very little impact on our lives, and that is not discipleship. A disciple is not someone who makes a profession of faith and then lives the way he or she chooses to. A disciple is someone who makes a profession of faith and then has their life radically altered and changed because of that faith. They become a servant of that gospel. That's what discipleship means. That's what discipleship is. Now, you're, if you're like me, you know that. You've heard that. But maybe there are some here who need a word about Reminding ourselves about that. And there's nothing wrong with that. God's mercies are new every morning. His grace is new every morning. Today can be a brand new day for us. 20 years ago, when we were in Montreal, I had grown weary in well-doing. Shirley and I were pastoring a church there, and we had spent several years helping that church walk out of the bounds of legalism. And they were the best of times and the worst of times. But we had discovered grace, we had discovered Jesus, and, and these were wonderful times in our lives, but, but it was a hard journey, and I was worn out. And I was seriously thinking of giving up pastoral ministry. I had completed my degree at the University of Waterloo in social work, and I was looking at what to do for a graduate degree. And Shirley and I were talking about these things and wondering what we should do. And I was seriously looking at, at getting out of ministry and going and doing my MSW. As I said, we were living in Montreal at the time, but I have a brother in Calgary who actually visited us here a couple of years ago. And I talked to my brother Fred and, and I told him what I was thinking and I said, you know what, we, we might want to try and start over in Calgary. And Fred said, hey, you know what, come on. You can stay with us while you get, your, get back on your feet and get your life started. We'd be more than happy to have you. And I was pretty sure that's what we were going to do. You know, because I've told you this many, many times, that God often speaks to me through the Scriptures. Always has. I love the Scriptures. And I love the fact that God uses those to speak to me. And on this one particular occasion, as I was 
debating this, and I, like I said, I was 99% sure that's what we were going to do. I don't remember the context, but I do remember the passage, and I remember what God said to me through it. Somehow, at that period of my life, I was drawn to 1 Peter, and I read in chapter 5 and verse 2, where Peter writes to you, elders, I, as a, as a fellow elder, he says this, he says, be shepherds of the flock, not because you must, but because you're willing as God would have you be. And what the Spirit said to me in that passage was He said, look Kev, don't stay in ministry because you feel you have to. Don't stay in, in my service because you feel that you must. Stay because you're willing. Because if you're willing to serve, I'm still willing to have you. And that broke my heart. You know, when God does that, when God speaks to you, you it, it changes everything. It changes everything. And I remember telling Shirley about that and, and sharing that scripture with us and saying, no, I want to stay in ministry. And so instead of doing my MSW, I went and I did my MDiv and I retooled my ministry. And 20 years later, here I am, walking this road of grace with all of you. And I'm blessed. But you know, thank you, we can grow weary in well-doing. We can, we can take our service for the gospel as a burden, as an obligation, as something that you know, we're locked into or trapped into, but we really would, really would rather be doing something else. And God says, no. Don't become a servant of this gospel because you have to. Become a servant of this gospel because you're willing. Because it has changed your life. And you value it to the point where you know that others need it too. And you're willing to devote your life to it. When we're called and asked to live this life, as we're going to be seeing in the next number of weeks... We're not necessarily asked to do extraordinary things. We're not all sent over to Africa or Latin America or Asia to be missionaries. Or do you know, extraordinary things even here locally. We're not asked to do that. Most of us are simply asked to do ordinary things, but in exceptional ways. In 2009, we had a, 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 a seminar here at the church on faith in the workplace. And I want to share this quote with you that comes from Brian Carney. And yes, it's that Brian Carney. Where he says, Every moment of life can be lived in the presence of God. What really matters is doing something out of faith, hope, and love. What kinds of activities are bounded by these virtues? None. Even back then, we understood this. We were saying it, although maybe not really focused on it and grappling. We, we knew it was there, but we were occupied with other things. But Brian hit the nail right on the head. What matters, what we're called to do, what, what does it mean to be a servant of this gospel? It's to go out there and live your everyday life, but to live it in an exceptional way. To live it by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. To live it by faith, hope, and love. And as we see, we're going to see that means everything from your church life to your family life, your marriage, your workplace, 
Just be God's person where he's placed you. That's what it is to be a servant of the gospel. Don't leave it here on Sunday morning. Take it with you. The presence of God that we enjoy here today is with us everywhere. He's already out there. He's with us everywhere that we go. What we're learning is that to be a servant of the gospel is to become aware of God's presence and to live in obedience to that presence every moment of every day of our lives. And God will do amazing things through a group of people who will do that. Will you do that? Will I do that? I can say that after 32 years in vocational ministry, I am a servant of this gospel and I am still learning and still growing and still recommitting and every single day I need the grace of God in my life and I recommit to this life. It's a day-by-day thing. I don't know how long it, it has been since you before God said, I am all in. Today is your day. Every person I meet, every conversation I have, everything that I do, Lord, I will do for you today. When was the last time you prayed that and meant it? Let it be today. Let it be today and tomorrow and the day after that. This is who we are. This is what it is to be the people of God. Let go of everything else and be this. That's a pretty high calling, isn't it? But God's already given it to us. And he's given us everything that we need to succeed at it. We simply need to choose it. And not just talk about it. I want to give you something to reflect on for a few minutes. The worship team can come up. We're going to move to our communion here in just a second. How have you answered God's call? I want to give us a few minutes. Think back to that moment when the gospel broke through to you. And you understood for the first time that Christ died for you because God loves you. And what's happened in your life since then? You know, we heard amazing stories last week in our baptism story of individuals for whom that's brand new and fresh and powerful and beautiful and we had this electric time with God last week. But hopefully that's not just nostalgia for you. And you're thinking way back in the dusty cobwebs of your history and saying, yeah, I remember that 30, 40, 50 years ago. But instead, it could be fresh and alive and say, yes, that's who I am. I'm that even today. How have you answered God's call? Can you say that you also are a servant of this gospel in your life? Let's just think about that for a second.